Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the opposition calls for change after the ethics commissioner clears the prime minister in the We Charity scandal. The system is broken. There are gaps in lobbying and there's special access for people close to the prime minister and that has to stop. Canadians are tired of it. So we need a new set of laws to fight this corruption, this entitlement that exists with this government. The shutdown in Ontario will last longer than originally planned. If we manage the next few weeks properly, I believe that we can have things in a very good place this summer. To do so, we need to keep driving cases down and easing the pressure on our hospitals. We need to maintain the stay-at-home order and all public health measures until at least June the 2nd. And Quebec seeks a change to the Canadian Constitution that would reiterate the province's French language rights. Quebec wants to add into the Canadian Constitution the fact that Quebecers form a nation and that French is the only official language in Quebec. They want these two declarative sentences included in the Constitution. It's Friday, May 14th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So let's talk about the aftermath of the ethics commissioner's ruling about the We Charity scandal. He found, Mario Dion, that uh, the prime minister didn't break conflict of interest guidelines, but former finance minister Bill Morneau did. Uh, the opposition now is calling for change as a result of that ruling. Uh, where do you think this leaves us with regard to this storyline around We Charity? Well, for the opposition, I'm sure they're a bit disappointed because um, this is not obviously the result that they were expected and they were expecting. And I think it really does speak to the fact that there is a lot of room for interpretation when it comes to ethics. You can easily see that you know, Commissioner Zion would have ruled in an, in another direction, that he would have found that the Prime Minister was in a conflict because, not just the appearance of a conflict, because giving a, a financially lucrative contract to a company that uh, employed frequently his mother and his brother and uh, helped elevate brand recognition of his spouse, um, you know, that would c- can possibly continue those contracts. So, um, it is interesting that he decided that there was only the appearance of a conflict and not an actual conflict because the prime minister, he outlines things like, well, they're not, they don't socialize together, they're not real friends, that there was no personal financial benefit um, to uh, tied to, to this uh, contract. The prime minister was not involved in picking we um, personally, whereas uh, he finds that uh, in the Bill Morneau case, that the former finance minister, uh, although he was helping a constituent, the Kilbergers, who are, are uh, headquartered in his writing, that uh, they were more than friendly acquaintances, that they were friends under the under the law, that uh, because they had brunch together, because they, uh, you know, ha- had each other's personal emails, because uh, there were infrequent contacts. Uh, they had traveled together, although I think, I think you could see that in, in several different ways. Um, but that is that to me is a little interesting. And um, certainly if the finance minister, Mr. Morneau was still the finance minister, you could uh, expect calls for him to resign uh, following this report. So the government must be happy that um, this did 
not cause more of a stir than it did. Um, the fact, though, that this is called Trudeau Report Number Three, I think uh, the Conservatives and the NDP will not let uh, Canadians forget that come the next election. But it does seem like there is a blind spot on many questions with regards to uh, when and when not one should recuse themselves. I should say that both Mr. Morneau and Mr. Trudeau recognized that at the time they should have recognized that there was at least the appearance of a conflict um, and recuse themselves from those decisions. But I think the other thing, if I can just add, Mark, is that the Liberal government has come under fire for uh, giving preferential treatment to companies with ties to the government or you know, former members of parliament, in one case with regards to pandemic contracts. And here there are interesting questions to be asked about where the line is between uh, you know, who is really a friend? I think you can expect that nobody is going to be writing emails to cabinet ministers calling them my dear friend, especially nobody <laughs> working in a GR or a lobbying firm yeah. uh, in the future. All right. Great point. Uh, let's talk about Bill C-10. Uh, the Justice Minister, David Lametti, uh, said yesterday that uh, there, there isn't any sort of uh, threat to free speech from Bill C-10, which, of course, will, will regulate aspects of social media and content on the Internet. Um, but we're going to hear today from uh, the, the uh, Heritage Minister, Stephen Gilboa, about mm-hmm. this. Um, so where does this stand? Where, where, where is the government going on this? Is it possible that they'll revisit some elements of this bill? Well, the government has already said that it plans to introduce amendments. So right now, clause by clause um, is is stalled uh, so that the committee members can hear from the ministers and department officials and a panel of experts next week uh, where uh, every political party that's on the Heritage Committee was given the chance to pick an expert they want to hear from. So um, the government has said and some of the opposition parties that support the government, the NEP and the Bloc, that, you know, they plan to bring to bring forward amendments that uh, would calm the fears that the Conservative Party um, has expressed and, frankly, the concerns that they have flamed across this country uh, over the past week and a half um, on this issue. The Conservatives in the House of Commons on Thursday were adamant that the government needed to repeal this bill, uh, calling the Liberals the thought police. Um, Candace Bergen was talking about the government uh, deciding what we can and when cannot say online. And at the same time, uh, the Conservative Party has sent four fundraising emails just in the last week on this very issue. I mean, this is like the gun registry, like abortion. This is a hot-button issue um, that seems to really uh, generate an emotional response from people. Um, and mostly English Canadians who are uh, worried, especially uh, conservative supporters, it seems that the government is trying to Im- impinge on their freedom of expression. And I should say, it's not just the conservative. I mean, Michael Geis, who's a respected University of Ottawa professor here, and several others have voiced concerns that in deleting one of the clauses in this bill uh, regarding user-generated content being posted to things on social media, like like YouTube, for example, that this now opened the door for um, stifling of free speech. But there is another clause in the bill that the government likes to point to, which says that no person uh, who is posting to social media should be impacted by this bill. Um, so there is everybody's kind yeah. of po- playing politics on this issue. It's a big issue in Quebec where the National Assembly... Um, 
every political party unanimously supported the government's uh, legislation. This move to um, force companies like Netflix and Spotify and Amazon Prime to uh, invest in Canadian content and to promote Canadian artists. The Broadcasting Act hasn't been updated since 1991, and so many people are hoping that um, this bill will fi- finally uh, you know, update uh, the act for right. the 21st century. And so uh, on the one hand, the government is saying, you know, don't be afraid. We're doing just what we said we were going to do that we ran on in the 2019 election. And yet the conservatives are saying, hey, no, this is a huge freedom of expression uh, issue. You are going to be policing what people can and cannot say online. I think if I can just add... Mark, the real question, though, is at what point somebody becomes a broadcaster? If you, like Jordan Peterson, have 3.7 million subscribers on YouTube, are you a broadcaster? I mean, CBC only has 1 million subscribers on YouTube. So um, that, uh, Minister Guibault um, has put his foot in his mouth trying to explain that question, and uh, I am sure he will be asked about that uh, later today. Okay. Let's move quickly through a couple of other topics. Uh, Of course, everyone continues to follow the latest developments with regard to how different governments across the country are managing the coronavirus crisis. We're keeping an eye on vaccine policy. And in Ontario yesterday, the government announced, not surprisingly, that the stay-at-home order will last longer than planned. So... I know a lot of people are are waiting for good news. Uh, The more people who are vaccinated, of course, the closer we are to the finish line. But it seems uh, it's still going to take some time before we actually get there. Yeah. um, So the government doesn't feel like the numbers are there yet in order to reopen things. Also, not just the government of Ontario, but all provincial governments are really afraid of the variants. Uh, We have more and more cases of people who have had a single dose um, now getting uh, one of the variants as well. So uh, with regards to Ontario, they've extended the lockdown until the 2nd of June. Uh, but even in June, like there, uh, you know, most people uh, will not have yet been vaccinated with the Pfizer or Moderna. They're like just, they reopened on, or they opened on Thursday, yesterday, um, the availability for people 40 and above to book. Uh, soon there'll be 30 and above to book. So you could see why they would want to have uh, the numbers yeah. in the ICU down, but also a larger number of the population um, vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the whole debate about um, what to do with these extra doses of AstraZeneca. Yeah. Um, more and more provinces are hitting the pause button on that. Um, and I guess we're... We're finally now understanding what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said when he meant a one-dose summer, because it's probably very likely that most people will not have their second dose during the summer. Yeah. At least All right. not for now, if the, if the vaccination yeah. rollout continues the way it does. It may change, right, because there's so many millions of doses of vaccines will be coming in each week. So maybe as everything with this pandemic, maybe things will, will pivot and change. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in Quebec, where uh, there is a bill that would change the Canadian Constitution to include a clause that would reiterate the Quebec nation's French language rights. So bring us up to date on what's happening there. Yes. Yesterday, um, Premier Legault um, and uh, one of his younger ministers, Simon Jamais Barrette, Jeanne Barrette, 
uh, introduced the revamp to basically Bill 101. This is called Bill 96. And in this piece of legislation that does so many different things, I won't go through all of them, but what's important for the federal government is that Quebec wants to add into the Canadian Constitution the fact that Quebecers form a nation and that French is the only official language in Quebec. They want these two declarative sentences included in the Constitution. Uh, Mélanie Jolie, the minister responsible for official languages, um, kind of welcomed the bill, said they're going to take time to study it, um, did not say whether she would. She thinks that Quebec can do this unilaterally. The government of Quebec is arguing that it can, but um, there's kind of like two provisions in the Constitution, and I will let uh, legal scholars tell me <laughs> which one is the most appropriate. Yeah. But when New Brunswick uh, became or tried to... Or, put in the Constitution that the official languages for both English and French, uh, Section 16.1, uh, in 1993, they used the amending formula under Section 43, which uh, meant that the Senate and the House here in Ottawa Parliament um, had to approve not just, legis- not just the legislature in New Brunswick. So if, they, if Quebec follows that precedent or if Ottawa says, no, no, you can't do this unilaterally, Parliament needs to... Yeah. to approve this, uh, then you, we could have a bit of a debate. And then, of course, the other thing that might be a wrinkle for Ottawa is that Premier Legault is preemptively invoking the notwithstanding clause to pass this bill. Wow. And, of course, um, the Bloc Québécois uh, are, has already started pressing the Liberal government about whether or not it would allow the Court Challenges Program, for example, yeah. uh, to be used uh, to to fight this law. So. For a liberal government that is hoping to make gains in Quebec and that really wants to see itself as a defender of the French language, um, this is uh, an interesting an interesting bill for Madame Jolie and Mr. Trudeau. All right. We'll see what happens. Althea, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. That's CBC at issue panelist Althea Raj. This report was entitled Trudeau 3. Our prime minister has been under investigation three times. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson considers the Ethics Commissioner's rulings on Justin Trudeau and Bill Morneau. Iveson writes, Trudeau's political opponents have used the two previous ethics reports that found the Prime Minister guilty as cudgels. They can't then turn around and trash the Commissioner's credibility because they don't like what he has unearthed this time. The opposition parties will try to keep it alive, And that remains a vulnerability for this government, but they will be mightily relieved that Trudeau has not amassed a hat-trick of ethics violations. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues partisan vitriol is back now that the pandemic political peace accord is officially over. Mason writes, Any pandemic-related reprieve that Justin Trudeau might have enjoyed with his political enemies is over. Conservatives at both the federal and provincial level can see some form of normalcy returning, and attention is turning to more mundane matters, such as elections. All this has ramped up the rhetoric. While life hasn't returned to normal for most of us, it has for our political leaders. The bitterness and contempt that has become a hallmark of our modern politics is back. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Normally on Fridays, things are relatively quiet on the committee front, but today two different committees are discussing, debating, and awaiting next steps in their hearings. 
CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the Commons Defence Committee has on several occasions now been on the verge of beginning discussions and sitting down and putting together its final report on allegations of sexual misconduct at the highest levels of the Canadian forces. Those allegations include ones against the former Chief of Defence Staff, now retired, Jonathan Vance, as well as Admiral, Admiral Art MacDonald. Now, last Friday, the committee heard from the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford. It's also heard from Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan and the former Ombudsman of the Canadian Armed Forces. But four Conservative members of the committee have now put in another request to further extend the committee's hearings to call more witnesses. They say the testimony that they've heard to date is incomplete and full of contradictions. So we'll be watching for any developments on the Defence Committee front. Meanwhile, the Commons Health Committee is holding a meeting today, this afternoon, to discuss a vote uh, on calling witnesses on a number of pressing pandemic issues. Members are discussing hearing from witnesses on the possibility of mixing types of vaccines, uh, the issue of proof of vaccine status, otherwise known as vaccine passports, also the issue of stiffer border control measures, and the whole question of the government's communication strategy concerning vaccines. So, Mark, two committees deciding on their next steps for the days and weeks to come. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will deliver remarks at the annual meeting of the Union des Municipalités du Québec. He will also visit the Thunder Bay Alstom plant virtually and then participate in the Christchurch Call Second Anniversary Virtual Leaders Summit, co-chaired by the President of France, Emmanuel Macron, and the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will host a call with provincial and territorial finance ministers. Green Party leader Annamie Paul is holding a citizens' meeting in Quebec. Natural Resources Minister Seamus O'Regan and Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will make a virtual announcement for greener cities. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will speak with the media after a signing ceremony with the Grand Council Treaty No. 3 and the Province of Ontario. And Minister of International Development Karina Gould will take part in an infrastructure event in Burlington, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, May 14th. Tune into Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.